Paul Burns of the Sydney Morning Herald calls this film a superbly creepy thriller with universal themes, an essential movie in anyone's canon. James Berardinelli says it exhibits all the classic visual elements of 40s film noir. And Letterboxd user Marta Lovey says, Psychological manipulation hoes, where are you at? On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Gaslight. Reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. Ooh, ooh, is that your uh, your best Gregory Anton? It is not my best. I'm so, no, well, I've got a, Charles I've got Boyer. A, my my Charles Boyer. No, uh, I have a little bit of a cold, so it's the best. It's the the best I've got at the, the best moment. you can do. Well, yes. that's okay. That's okay. Uh, hey, Dan and listeners, it's hello, ruined childhoods. Hello, we're John. Going back in time. Yeah, gonna go back in time. I, I, I'm sorry because I'm just. Uh, whenever I I think of that song, I actually don't think of the movie Back to the Future. I think uh-huh. of the sketch on Saturday Night Live when Michael J. Fox hosted, and he, he was like on an elevator, and people kept coming into the elevator and singing like "Power of Love" like Back in Time. Uh-huh. I don't know. It was for some reason it stands out in my head. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Fair anyway, enough. John, John, how goes it on your your end of the uh end of the line there? It goes okay. Uh, I got a few things that I wanted to bring up on the podcast. Uh oh. I saw uh one of the news items is that Creed 3. Do you know that Michael B Jordan is going to be directing Creed 3? I did know that. Yeah, I saw that they announced the release date for it. I'm right. excited. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm, hey, we are Creed fans. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Uh, that's exciting. Um, and my, Michael B. Jordan fans. Back oh, oh from, absolutely. Back from his, his days on Friday Night Lights and oh, Parenthood absolutely. and right through. Uh, great uh, movie, Chronicle. I'm going even, to even say far back as uh, Hardball. Is that the movie with uh, Keanu oh, Reeves? Where he's a yes. Base, yeah, Michael B. Jordan is uh, in that as a child. I he was on the wire, right? That. Uh, yes, yes, yeah. I believe so. Yeah, so yeah, Michael so he's B. Jordan been killing it since he was a little kid. But I mean, he's like, um, it's just great to see him get the the recognition that he deserves, and and also oh, get yeah. the and have these opportunities. And I'm glad that he's taking these opportunities, and I love that he's directing this franchise because the creed franchise i mean it's part of the rocky franchise but like sylvester stallone kind of took the reins of the rocky franchise after the first i i forget if the first one he directed was the third one i don't know um i I, i'll get back to you on that but (laughs) i i I I have an appreciation that Michael B. Jordan is kind of following suit and is is moving into the director's chair. Uh, 
not quite under the mentorship of Stallone. I don't. I, I think it's more the mentor. If anyone, oh, why am I blanking? Ryan Coogler. Yes, thank you, Ryan Coogler. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but yeah. So, and it, I mean, Ryan Coogler's kind of like I can't can't think of a bad Ryan Coogler movie. No, no. Fruitvale Station is fantastic. Uh, Black Panther, of course, is absolutely tremendous. And he did just the. Did he do the first Creed or did he do both of the Creeds? I think he did just the first. The first right? one. He did yeah. the first one, which is excellent. It's excellent. Um, it's great. Yeah, and if we're gonna go and talk about, uh, you know, movies that are standing the test of time and their legacies, Dan, have you watched Coming to America? The the number two? Uh, not yet. Not yet. We're planning on on hopefully watching it this weekend. That's one that is uh, my wife and I are both fans of the original. So uh-huh. we are uh, that, that one is I can't watch that without her. So, well, Dan, all we'll talk about it more after you've seen it. But all I will say is that no matter how much you and your wife love coming to America, nothing loves coming to America more than its sequel coming to America. Uh, uh yeah, that's kind of the impression. Uh oh boy, does it love itself. Oh boy. Oh boy. Well, so, I mean uh, that's where that's where I kind of am. Uh Dan, do you have anything you want to talk about before we launch into Gaslight? Um no, I really don't have so other than than Gaslight I really haven't this this week's been busy uh for for those new to the podcast first of all when welcome <laughs> when welcome. well bienvenue welcome and bienvenue welcome come on in uh so I teach high school um ninth grade language arts I've been remote now for a year woo yeah and uh, so uh anyway for for those unfamiliar with the teaching profession you get you get evaluations, you get, you know, uh, you have an administrator and assistant principal usually who comes in and observes you a couple of times a year and you're kind of, you know, you're assessed on your teaching and your connection with students and uh-huh. so on and so forth. And I had my second observation this past week and, um, yeah, you know, I, I kind of like to bring my a game all the time but you you want to bring your a plus game when um when the ap is coming in you want to do extra credit absolutely Uh, yeah um so yeah and especially like i have an administrator this year my evaluator who uh like he's he's really like he's got standards and he's He's someone who's who likes details and, you know, likes preparation and structure and things like that. Some things which are very challenging for me. Um, so I was really <laughs> I was really focused on on having my lesson prepared. He was, you know, observing me first thing on Thursday, which, you know, um, it's kind of like they have an open door invitation to any of my classes, but uh-huh. um, for a class that's first thing in the morning, the discussions tend to be pretty lively in that class. Okay, actually, they tend to be lively in all my classes. We had a, uh, for example, we had a lively discussion today about. I had a warm up question that was, "What is your?" Uh, and this is you know part of this lesson that I was planning. 
it was to provoke this discussion because it's rich and uh the prompt was uh describe a time when you tried to convince someone of something or change their opinion how did it did you succeed why why not and like you know how did you try to how did you try to convince them so we got into and I told them ahead of time, I was like, we may get off into some tangents and that's okay. Yeah. And we sure did because someone posted something about Rory on Gilmore Girls and okay. the, the character, not, we're not talking about uh, Alexis Bledel, the actress who played Rory, uh, but talking about the character and, and this student was com- was complaining that the character kept getting into the same situations, never learned anything. And it was like every day they were just like a robot that you reboot every, every morning. Mm. And uh, it was so funny because I, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I have not seen an episode of the Gilmore Girls. Uh, despite my appreciation for Lauren Graham, uh, the late, great Edward Herman, pour one out. Yeah. Uh, and um, there's a lot of great people, Melissa McCarthy. So, but I've never watched it. And this, and there were all of a sudden, there's, I have another teacher in that class who works with some of the students. And she was like, yes, yes, finally, someone is saying this. And then another girl who hardly ever will like unmute herself and, and chime in usually because I know for a fact, she takes care of three younger siblings. So mm. it's often pretty noisy there. Um, So I understand. <laughs> but was like, wait a second, I got to get it. Like the digital hand went up and oh, wow. was like, I got to get in here. So I was like, this is fantastic. I've had conversations about the most random things, condiments. Uh, uh, the other day there was a discussion about ranch dressing and people were like into it. And wow. Um, so it, it, anyway, point of the story is it's been a really busy week and, uh, I have managed to watch the 1944 gaslight as well as most of the 1940 gaslight. And, um, I managed to squeeze those in. I I've really gotten used to watching things on my phone, uh, Mm. especially as I'm getting ready for, for the podcast on a busy week. And I'm like, I'm not going to have time to like lounge out in my chair and sit and watch this in in one sitting. And so I'll be watching it as I'm, you know, making lunch or something between classes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, as you know, for me, most of this week, aside from watching, I watched, you know, the 1944 gaslight. I watched, uh, chunks of the 1940 gaslight, but, you know, talking about watching things on your phone, I've been, Watching a lot of uh, TikTok videos of kids after they just got their wisdom teeth out. It's oh. maybe my uh, my favorite genre of short film, uh, and it's it's mostly you know it's these kids who are just coming off of you know whatever drug they were on to knock them out for getting their wisdom teeth out, and you know it's it's pretty much them in the cars with their parents swearing in front of their parents for the first time and not realizing it right away. And feeling oh. the the horror of, you know, like, oh, no, what did I just say? And the parents just be like, it's okay. It's okay. It's amazing. 
I have a great story about that, but it reminds me of what was that video from, I mean, several years ago now. Was it David like After Dentist? David After Dentist. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> oh, classic. Is this real life? <laughs> is, does, is This sounds like kind of a, uh, you know, subgenre of. of oh, that. yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So that's uh, what I've been into lately. But yeah, so let's talk about Gaslight. I, oh, I, I was going to. Oh, I. I was going to, sh- I have a funny story because my oh, daughter, who didn't, my daughter, Chloe, who, uh, uh, you know, she, she'll be, she's a few weeks away from being seven. That's uh, right. and occasionally it's so funny when, and now I, I think I am more of the cusser between my wife and I, but my wife is the one who will cuss more around Chloe. And she does not do it frequently. It's Alicia, my wife dropped an F bomb at the dinner table and and Chloe like had that moment where she had that look on her face and she was like Did you say fucking and <laughs> it was like, yep, and now you did too, and you get away with that one. Yeah, well, you're not, not hearing a lot of that going on in Gaslight because this uh, was post Hayes Code, so you're not uh, going to hear a lot of that in uh, in the Gaslight movies, both forty and forty four. Though in the four in the nineteen forty one, there's there's this like weird sex joke during one of the scenes. I mean, we'll talk after the synopsis, but th- th- yeah, yeah, weird, or at least that's how I took it. Right. So we're focusing on the 1944 Gaslight, which is the more famous of the two, even though so it it originated as a stage play in the late 30s and then was pretty quickly adapted to a film in 1940 and then was essentially just like, I I think that we could do this better. And then was remade just a few years later, which is kind of amazing. And as lore goes, part of the deal was that they would destroy the remaining like prints of the 1940 version, which did not end up happening. It is available on uh, Prime Video for anybody who wants to check out the 1940 version. I saw I watched the 1944 version on Hoopla, which yeah. you can uh, check out if you have a library card that uh, a library that participates with the streaming service Hoopla. Um, I think most do. And it was interesting watching the two because it was like, oh, this one in 44, like, clearly had a bigger budget. There was definitely, like, they they really, I don't know, zhuzhed things up a bit. I mean, it won the Oscar for, like, stage, for um stage decoration or something like that. Oh, Um, well, yeah. But, you know, your your assessment of that, I think we could do this better is is pretty spot on. Yeah. And and zhuzhing just everything up from and I mean, in all due respect to Diana uh, Win Winyard, uh, who plays. Uh, well, I, I think it's Lola in the 1941 oh, mm-hmm. Paula um, uh, Ingrid Bergman plays her and is just. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, absolutely incredible. And Char- incredible. And, and Charles, and they they beef up the plot and they beef up the character development. And, totally, they yeah. just kind of take it and they they really just build, they bulk it up. 
and they really turn it into something juicy. And it's not to say that the 1940 version is bad. It's just like they saw an, like an opportunity where they kind of missed the mark and they just went back and did it again, which is so fascinating. And it, it kind of just goes with, you know, what we talk about on this show, which is focusing on, you know, remakes and reboots and prequels and sequels. And it's like they've been happening since the beginning oh, of cinema. The Great Train Robbery. The, yeah, the very first movie was remade like five times in the next like couple years every so, yeah yeah um so before and before i guess uh well i guess we should talk about the summary first and then um about how this term entered the lexicon if you yes. will sorry yeah. yeah this month we're focusing on movies that uh that have a title that has entered modern lexicon uh as, and kind of or redefined it in the way of the full Monty it, it redefined mm-hmm. it from just being like oh just you know everything to everything. being in the nude and uh you know we talked about the bucket list which didn't exist as a term before the movie the bucket list which when I tell people still they're just like no that's not possible right yeah I know it's so funny yeah and so gaslight the the definition is you know, the manipulation of somebody into convincing them that they, I don't know, remember something incorrectly or didn't say something that they said, like convincing them that they're the crazy one, essentially. You'll be hearing examples of this throughout the episode. Absolutely. So, yeah, I'll just do a little synopsis and then we'll get moving with that. OK, Uh, yeah. Um. And then I've got a little bit more uh, background on how Gaslight kind of took on its more contemporary, more contemporarily common uh, yeah. political use. Sure. Ooh, juicy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, it, it's attributed, and I'm, I'm getting this from a New York Times article, um, Why Gaslight Hasn't Lost Its Glow. Uh, published in in 2019. Uh, Jay Hoberman, a New York Times critic. And he mentions that it it may have been Maureen Dowd, a political columnist who uh, may have been the first to apply gaslight to politics in a 1995 piece titled The Gaslight Strategy, which was describing how the Clinton administration was attempting to provoke the Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, into making hmm. irra- irrational outbursts. So, huh. Oh, right. I did read about that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And it's something that also, like, I think that the term itself came into popularity in the 60s. I don't have specific examples in front of me, but I, I read somewhere that in the 60s, that's where it started to like really come up and be used more commonly as a term to describe this, this, I don't know, phenomenon, not really phenomenon, but this uh, manipulation that, that yeah. occurs, the specific, specific type of manipulation. Yeah. Oh, James. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Specific type. I was going to say psychological manipulation, but yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, let me just do the little synopsis and we'll, we'll get into all of it. Yes. After finding her beloved celebrity aunt, Anne Alquist, mysteriously murdered in their home, nine-year-old orphan Paula is moved away to be raised by her deceased aunt's dear friend and singing coach, Maestro Garrity. About a decade later, Paula and Maestro Guardi's pianist, Gregory Anton, have fallen in love and decide to get married. Despite having had nightmares about her childhood home, 
Paula knows that Gregory's dream is to live in a house on a London square, so they return to her childhood home, which was left to her in her aunt's will. As they begin their new lives together, Gregory slowly and systematically convinces Paula that she is forgetful and absent-minded. He manages to do this with the unknowing help of their home staff, a hard-of-hearing chef, and young housemaid who has the hots for Gregory and the knots for Paula. The one person in London to gain an interest in the goings-on of Number 9 Thornton Square is Brian Cameron, an inspector who is a childhood fan of Paula's aunt, Anne Alquist. Demanding that the closed case is reopened, Cameron enlists the help of a beat officer to woo Nancy, the housemaid, and get information from her. Meanwhile, Cameron figures out that late at night, Gregory enters his closed-off attic through the vacant house next door in order to rummage for missing jewels that were never found after Alice's murder. When he confronts Paula, who is now completely convinced that she has gone mad, they find a letter written to her Aunt Alice from Sturgis Bauer, a pianist who played with Alice in Prague, two days before her murder. This letter had been previously found by Paula, but Gregory hid it from her and then convinced her that it never existed in the first place. Cameron reveals that the handwriting is the same as Gregory's, indicating that Gregory Anton and Sturgis Bauer are one and the same, and that he murdered Alice for her jewels, but never found them because young Paula interrupted the theft, so this is his plot to finally recover them for himself. So, Gregory Anton is played by Charles Boyer, uh, Paula is Ingrid Bergman, who is just phenomenal. Uh, yeah. Cameron is played by Joseph Cotton, who's just absolutely uh, fantastic. Dame May Whitty is uh, uh, Miss Bessie Thwaites, who's the kind of like nosy neighbor who Paula meets oh. on a train at first. Uh, she's a hoot. Uh, the very first uh, film appearance of Angela Lansbury as Nancy, the housemaid. And then there's Barbara Everest as Elizabeth, who's the, the house chef, I believe is what she is. So, man, it's okay. Charles Bray is he's great. I mean, he's a little over the he, top, but it's 1944. So it just works. Well, and and to your point, you know, at, at a certain at a certain point watching this, I was like, man, like, I really love this, but so cliche. And then I was like, well, I when this came out, because I'm like, cliche. well, because I'm like, when I'm thinking of these cliches, I'm thinking of like a hand that rocks the cradle. Yeah. And, and um, uh, what was it like sleeping with the enemy? Sleeping with the enemy. Yeah. Yeah. So and I was like, oh, so really, this is a, you know, early 90s. This is the prototype. Thriller. Yeah, this yeah. is the this is the blueprint right here. So um, totally when you look at it from that perspective and you're like, oh, I mean, yes, it was a play. Yes, it was another movie. And yes, by 1944, audiences were familiar with melodrama, um, the kind of psychological torture that she goes yeah. through and the fact that the whole time you know he's up to something i mean like i i one of my first notes is oh fuck he did it <laughs> uh yeah yeah well i i think that i hadn't quite caught on when she was still you know before they came to like london and everything but once he starts talking about wanting to move to like a uh, house on a square in London. It's kind of like, oh, all right. 
Okay. And, you know, I, I didn't do any reading about it before I watched it because I wanted to go in completely clean. All I knew yeah. is that the term gaslight comes from this movie and that this is some sort of psychological thriller. That's all I knew. And I mean, let's face it, odds are it's, you know, going to be the husband that's right. you know, playing games yeah. here. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I just kind of like put it together that he was the pian the pianist who worked with uh, her aunt's vocal coach trainer. Yeah, and you know, I was just kind of like, but uh, it's funny about it's funny how like he was like I don't know how old she was when she you you know interrupted the uh, the theft. I think it said that she was nine. So, and it was that like that he like formed that plan like that was his that was his go to. I imagine he didn't come up with the plan right away, like that night. I imagine that you know it was just kind of like a all right. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna find out what happened to this kid. I'm gonna marry that I'm, nine year old. I'm gonna find well, that nine year old. Yeah. So anyway, he he's pretty creepy, but like. He's creepy. Yeah. Ingrid Bergman. No, it makes plays sense. It so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, she plays it so, like, you be- you really believe her. Like, this is one of those early acting performances where it's just like, oh, yeah, this is somebody who clearly has it dialed in before most other people are really doing, like, solid film acting. Yeah, like this is this is a few years before, you know, like on the waterfront, like with this yeah. is before, you know, Brando and the like. But uh yeah, she's really and she plays this wonderful like they really do the script does an, a great job of setting up that like all these people are telling her like, "Oh, you know, uh, forget about the fat, the past, live for the future. You yeah. know that she's had like, you know, experienced this trauma and right. Well, like the very first the thing. Yeah. One of the very first things that's said to her is, uh, you know, the person who's taking her away from the house is saying like, no, 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 no. Don't look back. Just look ahead to the future. Like, let's get that out of your memory <laughs> and, and yeah. just start fresh. And, uh, it's kind of like, ugh. and you know, her whole, Everything that we see of her is people trying to tell her who she is and what she should be. You know, they tell her, like, you're going to go uh, live with the maestro or you're going to be raised by, like, this maestro. You know, your your aunt was such a great singer and you'd look just like her. So certainly right. you'll be a singer. <laughs> but when she's with the maestro, he's telling her, like, oh, no, 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 you can't sing, which I don't understand because you look just like your aunt. Like, it's kind of <laughs> weird. It's like everybody's telling her, you know, who she should be and... It seems like that's the moment where she's like, well, you know what? I'm just going to try to figure things out on my own. And that's when, you know, Gregory really implants himself into her life and they decide to get married. Yeah, but I mean, she's already with him because... She's already with him, but he's like, I can't let her change her mind. I can't let her... You know, right. form her own thoughts, essentially. He, you know, she's supposed to be going on this trip by herself, and then he's at the train station there when she gets oh, there. right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I forgot about the train station. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
and where which is where she meets the uh it's like the prototype for the Edie McClurg character. That's <laughs> I, I'm not yeah. suggesting or Edie McClurg in a remake, but that's <laughs> The spirit of of an Edie McClurg character. Yeah. Now, let's listen to a little bit of that, because I feel like it'll also help us get into the mode of this film. Oh! Oh! Oh, my goodness! Oh, good gracious! Oh, it's so exciting. Your book? Yes. It's all about a girl who marries a man, and what do you think? He's got six wives buried in the cellar seems a lot. Yes, and I'm only at page 200, so I'm sure there's still more to come. Oh, it's a wonderful book. Oh, it sounds a little gruesome. Uh, yes, well, I'm afraid I enjoy a good murder now and then. My brother always calls me bloodthirsty Bessie. Have a biscuit, dear. Thank you. Digestive biscuits. <laughs> Unpleasant name, isn't it? I always call them diggy biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> I never travel without them. You're not English, are you? No. I was brought up there. My aunt lived in London. Are you on your way there now? No. I'm going to Lake Como. Oh? All by yourself? Yes, all by myself. Oh, but, but is that wise? I don't think any harm will come to me. <laughs> well, I'm going to London. I must be in London for the spring. The crooks, as you know. And the daffodils and the tulips. The gardens are so beautiful in the spring. I go and say good morning to my flowers in Thornton Square every day. Thornton Square? Yes, that's where I live. Number 16. Do you know it? I know Thornton Square. Do you know anyone living there? I used to, not anymore. I wonder who that could be. I know almost everyone who lives there now. We are also very friendly, you know, popping in and out of each other's houses. Uh, what number did your friends live at? I, I'm afraid I don't remember. You know, we had a real live murder there. Yes, I, I'd heard of it. Unfortunately, it's before I went to live there. Just a year before, ten years ago, at number nine, a famous singer called Alice Alquist. Have another biscuit, dear. No, thank you. It was a most mysterious case. They never found out who killed her. They never even found a motive. I've tried to get in the house many and many a time. I think it was so exciting. Don't you? I mean, just to see. All just as it used to be. Nothing's been changed. All the furniture and everything. I think we're getting into Cornwall. Oh, so we are. Is anyone meeting you? No. Oh, dear. Well, you will be careful, won't you? I will. Goodbye. Goodbye, my dear. Oh, come and see me if you're ever in London. My name is Thwaites. Miss Thwaites. And I'll point out the window of the room in number nine where it happened. You can see it from my drawing room. So what I love about that interaction is that that's one that wasn't in the 1940 version which means right. it probably wasn't in the play but it's a it's such a well-written scene because it gives you so much information through this woman everything that she's saying it makes sense why she's bringing up this murder because mm-hmm. it establishes that he that she has a fascination with the the gruesome in her book like she's just such a curious you know Rosie the nosy neighbor and <laughs> I, I don't know like I their interaction just seems so perfect and uh, yeah it just really worked for me that i think that that scene is what really like drew me into the movie yeah i the the character it's interesting because i wouldn't go as far as to say she's comic relief but she's kind of that constant presence she's kind of comic relief but she's that that constant 
reminder of how, you know, nobody in these neighborhoods can keep a secret forever. Yeah. There's always someone like that who's 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 snooping around and mm-hmm. I love the way I love the way that uh he I forgive me I'm forgetting the character's name so I'm just going to say the actor Joseph Cotton uh oh the, yeah 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 the Brian way that Cameron he, Brian right the way that he uses her to to get into the house mm, yep mm-hmm. yeah it's she's a really interesting character I love how she I, I in the the climax when all the Excuse me. Yeah, um, you know everything is getting revealed, and there's the fight between uh, Joseph Cotton and Charles Boyer, and yeah. and she like comes in. There's just like a cutaway to her like coming and knocking on the door, like anybody home? Yeah, and- <laughs> yeah. It's great. I I love it. I think that she's awesome. Um, yeah. Sh- shout out Dame May Witty. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's such a fascinating film. Uh, I think that everything with the the Brian Cameron character uh, really makes a lot of sense. I like the interaction that he has with his like superior, you know, at Scotland Yard, who's telling him like, don't even bother that case is closed. Don't go p- poking your nose where it doesn't belong. <laughs> and uh, there's this whole thing where when uh, Paula and Gregory first go to the house, she shows him like, you know, this glass that got broken and like all these things that her aunt collected and this one glove that she had and, you know, that she had from her performances. And she's like, but I don't know what happened to the other one. And you find out later that, you know, Brian was a huge fan of hers when he was a kid and met her once and he had the other glove. And it's just like a really nice connection and uh, what really makes it zhuzhed up that you that you're not really getting from the 1940 version? Because when I was watching the 1940 version, I was looking out for things where it's like, OK, they did. They didn't do that. They didn't do that. They didn't do that. And um, it became obvious why they wanted to make a remake so quickly after. Yeah, although they did uh, have the murder of Alice Alquist in the 1940 version, which is where there's that strange sex joke because like this guy's walking, I forget if it's the constable or like just some random guy, like walking past the house while Alice is being, is being strangled. And you just hear her going like, Oh, oh, oh!" and the guy gets this like smile and wink on her face. Like, Ooh, somebody's getting lucky. Uh, And it was like, somebody's getting unlucky. Yes, seriously. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah, the 1941 is kind of like a dress rehearsal for the 44 one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So just talking more about the um, the 1944 one, you know, the, the manipulation kind of starts off pretty quickly. They're not even in the house for a few, more than a few days when he introduces this brooch that he's giving her that like I think he's saying was his mother's or something like that. And yeah, he makes this big show about giving it to her, but how he needs to get it mended. So he puts it into her purse. And at some point he takes it out without her seeing so that she thinks that she lost it. And, you know, he just kind of sets up this whole idea about her being forgetful. I'll play a little clip of that. Yeah. Yeah. I've, present for you, Paula. Oh, Gregory. Oh, where did you find anything so beautiful? It belonged to my mother, and we thought that to her mother, and now it belongs to you. 
Oh, I shall wear it always. Always, oh my dear. Oh, how sweet of you to give me this. Oh, it... I'm afraid the pin is not very strong. No. I'll have it mended. Yes. You'd better not wear it until I have. You might lose it. You know, you are inclined to lose things, Paula. I am? No, I didn't realize that. Oh, just little things. I'll put it in your bag for yes. safekeeping. There. Now, yes. you'll remember where it is. Don't be silly. Of course I'll remember. Oh, I was teasing you, my dear. Oh, man, you just hear him say oh. that, and you're just like, you piece of shit. Yeah. How dare you? Oh, so... What a slime. And he's just being so subtle. Oh, just little things. Well, he tries, he pulls it off as if he's being charming and kind. And yeah. that's that's how this happens. This this really happens this way. And it just, oh, man, it just makes your blood boil when you hear it in this movie. Yeah, it really, and, and the way he plays it, and I know that, like, the performance is, is a bit hammy from uh, Charles Boyer, but it, it's so good, and it fits, it, like, it fits the mood of this of this film which is very much the mood is gaslight the mood is yeah so yeah we didn't talk yet about why it's called gaslight and how that term enters into this film so you know this takes place in the era before homes are are lit with electric light bulbs uh, you know they are all gas lit and, um, you know, at the very beginning, it reminded me of uh, Mary Poppins Returns, which, you know, instead yeah. of chimney sweeps, it's the guys who light the gas lamps outside of all the all the homes. Lin-Manuel Miranda is the main guy who does that. And there's somebody who does it at the beginning of this. I'm just like, oh, it's, it takes place in the Mary Poppins verse, maybe just a couple blocks away. So uh, <laughs> a couple of squares away. So meanwhile, you've got, meanwhile yeah, something very different is happening. So. The houses have, you know, a certain amount of gas that goes through the pipes. And when one additional one is lit, another one kind of dims a little. So mm -hmm. he is going into their own attic, which he has closed off from the rest of the house. So he's sneaking into the attic to try to find these jewels. And because he's turning on the lamp up there it's dimming the lamps here and when the lights dim it is meant to signify when she feels like she's going crazy and there's like a scene where she's with uh angela lansbury and she and she notices the light dim a little bit and she's just like did you turn on a another light because this is dim and she's like i don't know what you're talking about and uh yeah, the manipulation just goes very, very deep, and it's, you know, largely connected with these, you know, gaslights. Yeah, it, it, it's, uh, it, it, and it just, it sets the mood and the, this mysterious tone, and, like, you know he's up to something, you know he's going up into the attic, you don't quite know, yeah, like, exactly how or why, um, you know, I think they play up some possibilities, like almost like he's like some Jack the Ripper who's who's going out yeah. at night and like, well, when he comes back, he, he looks like he hasn't been up to any good. And yeah, because like yeah. his 
tie is off kilter and he's a little dusty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's how you know something is amiss in old timey London. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. If I was in, I would never go home with my tie askew or, sl- or uh, d- dusty the, the, in the, the least. The mere thought of it just sends shivers down my spine. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So um, coming back to uh, Gregory and, and how scummy he is and Nancy and how he kind of gets Nancy involved. Yeah. she She's pretty, uh, you know, open. She's pretty persuadable. She's pretty open to suggestion. Uh, yes. And as, uh, you know, anybody today, you know, when they think about Angela Lansbury, all they think about is, you know, young minx just on the prowl. Oh, that's what ever when when you know when you think Victorian era ho, you think Angela Lansbury. So <laughs> no, fact, she's great. Yeah, I'll I'll play yeah, a little oh, interaction that she has with uh, with Gregory. Oh, great. Seems to be getting worse, doesn't she, sir? You will please not refer to your mistress as she. Thank you, Nancy. Going to work on your tunes again tonight, sir. You're always working, aren't you? Yes. What are you doing with your evening out? Oh, I'm going to a musical. Up in a balloon, boys. Up in a I've never balloon. been to an English musical. Oh, you don't know what you've missed, sir. Up in a balloon, boys. Up in a balloon. You like it a lot, sir. Well, we must see about that. And whom are you going to the musical with? Gentlemen friends, sir. Oh, now you know Dancy, don't you? That gentlemen friends are sometimes inclined to take liberties with young ladies. Oh, no, sir. Not with me. I can take care of myself when I want to. You know, Nancy, it strikes me that you're not at all the kind of girl that your mistress should have for a housemaid. No, sir. She's not the only one in the house, is she? Oof. Laying it on thick. Yeah. Wow. And then, and then there's that whole thing about how... Uh, they're going to send Paula away to, you know, a, a home and right. Nancy's going to, Nancy's going to stay on to take care of him. Yeah. Well, and also uh, another difference between the 1940 version and the 1944 is that in that scene in the 40 version, they actually kiss. Whereas oh, yeah. in, in oh, this they one, do. they do not. Um, well, there, which is an interesting the- choice. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's more, there's like the tension there. And I think in, in the 1940 version, they're, they're being less coy about, about him, about uh, in Gregory in the 44 version. Yeah. They're being even more overt about his, his being villainous. Right. And, you know, for him, the whole thing is eyes on the prize. Because, you know, the whole reason why he's there isn't just to, like, be, I don't know, a bad guy in every single way. His goal is to get these jewels, and he's going to do it however he has to. And if he starts, you know, making out with Nancy all the time, then that's going to be a a distraction from his goal. So, you know, I, I don't know if that's the reason why they decided not to make that kiss happen in this one but that's my theory yeah yeah that makes sense yeah yeah and i when you know we we haven't been playing a lot of uh you know clips showing the development of 
of Paula, uh, Ingrid Bergman's character. So mm. I just want to show a little bit of that. So um, let's see. Let's here's another one. Here's the uh, the neck the follow up for the missing brooch. Oh, Paula, uh, you might give me your brooch so I can have it repaired. What's the matter? Anything wrong? No. No, it's... Oh, Gregory, I can't find it. What? I missed it when we were in the tower. I must turn everything out. I know it was here. I can't understand it. I couldn't have lost it. It must be here. I'm sure it's there. It's not. Oh, Paula, didn't I tell you? How did you come to lose it? I must have pulled it out with something, I suppose. Oh, I'm terribly sorry, Gregory. Please forgive me. Oh, forgive, I... my dear. It's not as serious as that. It's not valuable. But your present to me, your mother's brooch, and I wanted to wear it always. I. I don't remember opening my bag. Well, I suppose I must have. You, you, you did put it in there. Don't you even remember that? Yes, yes, of course I do. But, well, suddenly I'm beginning not to trust my memory at all. Paula, I tell you, you're just tired. That's all. It doesn't mean anything. I'm sure it doesn't. Don't worry, so Paula. Don't worry. That's slime. Oh man, yeah, he's so cre and this is when he knows like he he's he's got her because she's yeah. admittedly not trusting her own memory and yeah. it's like yes. It's she's like, you know, you're right, maybe I am just tired. Maybe that's what's going on. And uh I you know, we we should absolutely mention you know, Ingrid Bergman won the best the best actress Oscar for this movie uh she also won the golden globe uh for best actress in a motion picture drama um and best acting at the national board of review awards um gaslight uh itself uh you know certainly it was inducted into the national film preservation board and also like we said before it won best art direction black and white at the academy awards that year but it was also nominated um for Best Motion Picture at the Oscars, Charles Boyer was nominated for Best Actor. Uh, Angela Lansbury was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Not bad for yeah. your first time out the gate. Really? Uh, yeah, Best Screenplay, it was nominated. It was nominated for Best Cinematography, Black and White. It was nominated for the Cannes Grand Prize. Um, so it certainly made its mark. And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, I'm surprised that the movie itself isn't talked about you know it's not put up there when people are talking about you know the more famous like hitchcock movies you know this is certainly one that i think stands up amongst those as some of the great thrillers of early cinema well and it's you know it comes after uh rebecca suspicion yeah. shadow of a doubt so it it's kind of and it comes like right before notorious so it it's it's definitely in that 
kind of like early noir, um, you know, psychological mystery. Yeah. Genre. Yeah. And, you know, because we're talking this month about movies that coined popular phrases or phrases that have entered the modern lexicon or, you know, uh, one, I feel like an honorable mention should go to movies that uh, have coined the, it's a blank situation. And I feel like rear window is one of those. It's like, I got a real rear window situation going on over here. You know, if you're snooping (laughs) on your neighbors or whatever, or Mr. Mom. Mr. Mom or like, uh, you know, Benjamin Button disease. That's become one that people like to reference a lot. You got uh, a single Button white female. On, yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that have entered that where I think that, uh, you know, if gaslight hadn't become just the like word to describe the psychological manipulation, then it, it certainly could have ended up being like, it's a real gaslight situation, but I think that that's because this movie isn't talked about as much as, you know, a lot of those like Hitchcock movies. And it's kind of just the word itself, the title itself has kind of become the thing that people say without attaching it to the film. Yeah. Yeah. Or the play. If, if people want to do that. Yeah, no, it's well, although I think the play was called Angel Street. So, oh, um, was it? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so, um, the yeah, the term gaslight kind of similar to the bucket list, but, uh, you know, gaslight was uh, this, you know, big, you know, award winning slash nominated movie, unlike bucket list. No right. offense, Rob Reiner, but, uh, Sorry, Buckle, it should have been written by Lowell Gaines and Babalu Mandel. And uh, like most things. Yeah, of course. Like my life. <laughs> uh, Go to our store on tpublic.com to get your very own written by Babalu Gaines and uh, <laughs> or Lowell Gaines and Babalu Mandel shirt. Yes. As seen in kidding. the City Slickers opening credits. Or tote bag. Um, or tote bag or sticker, whatever you want. Yeah. So, um, and then I don't know if you have uh, this clip to play, but. Uh, Joseph Cotton, uh, at a certain point, actually, like, finally gives an explanation. He doesn't call it gaslighting. He's like, well, gaslighting is when. But he describes, he he really, like, explains the yeah, manipulation. Yeah, and I think that that happens after she finds the letter yeah. that was written by Sturgis Bauer. So I'll just go ahead and play that real quick. Yeah. I was right. There was a letter. And it was from Sergius Bauer. What was that? What was that name you just said? Sergius Bauer. I Bauer. found this. But my husband said I dreamed, and now it's here. Bauer. It's been here the whole time. Bauer. There was a Sergius Bauer connected with Alice Alquist. He was... He was a young pianist who played for in Prague. Let me see that. Dear Miss Alquist, I beg of you to see me just once more. I followed you to London. Dear Lady Dalroy, oh, this is my husband's writing. So is this. Mrs. Anton, your husband, Sergius Bauer, one and the same person. And this letter from Sergius Bauer to Alice Alcris was written two days before her murder. But he said there wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. I'm not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Perhaps because you found this letter no too much. Or because... 
Then he would have control of your property, of this house, and could search in the open instead of the dark, like this. A search? What is that a search for? For the things for which Alice Alquist was murdered. Her jewels. I have her jewels? For the jewels you didn't know she had. Famous jewels. Jewels for which he was searching that night, when he was frightened away by hearing someone come down the stairs. Someone he never saw. A little girl. That he was, that he was here that night, but he never, he never knew her. You're wrong. You, you're, you're wrong. You're making a mistake. I know him. I, I, he's my husband. I've lived in the same house with him. You're talking about the man I'm married to. Mrs. Anton, there's not a detail of the Alquist case that I don't know, and unless I'm more mistaken than I've ever been in my life, the man called Sergius Bauer has a wife living in Prague now. So you see, Mrs. Anton, he must have planned the whole thing step by step from that night. Oh, if that were true, then from the beginning there would have been nothing. Oh, that's this is her winning that Oscar. Like yep. that that scene and this the couple scenes that follow, that's uh, her sealing the deal for that Oscar. Oh, well, the scene that she has with with Gregory uh towards towards the end is I mean yeah. that's that's the scene. That's like <laughs> All right, we're going a little clip crazy, but yeah. we're going clip crazy, but here we go. Oh, and just to set this up, uh, he has been caught and he is tied to a chair and has requested a one-on-one with Paula and uh, Cameron has allowed it, which is very surprising considering this guy is certainly caught. But yeah, here, let's listen to that clip. If I ever meant anything to you, and I believe I did, then help me, Paula. Give me another chance. In the drawer of that cupboard over there, there is a knife. Get it and cut me free. Be quick, Paula. Get me the knife. Cut me free. Would you get it, Paula? Would you get it for me? Yes, I'll get it. I'll get it for you. Hurry, Paula. There's no knife here. Yes, I put it there. Look, I don't see any knife. I put it there tonight. No, it isn't here. You must have dreamed you put it there. Are you suggesting that this is a knife I hold in my hand? Have you gone mad, my husband? Or is it I who am mad? Yes, of course, that's it. I am mad. I'm always losing things and hiding things and I can never find them. I don't know where I put them. That was a knife, wasn't it? And I have lost it. I must look for it, mustn't I? If I don't find it, you'll put me in the madhouse. Where could it be now? Perhaps it's behind this picture. Yes, it must be here. No. No, where shall I look now? Perhaps I put it over here. Yes, I must have done that. My brooch. The brooch I lost at the tower. I found it at last, you see? But it doesn't help you, does it? And I'm trying to help you, aren't I? Trying to help you to escape. How can a mad woman help her husband to escape? But you're not mad. Yes, I am mad, as my mother was mad. No, Paula. That wasn't true. Help me. 
If I were not mad, I could have helped you. Whatever you had done, I could have pitied and protected you. But because I am mad, I hate you. Because I am mad, I have betrayed you. And because I am mad, I'm rejoicing in my heart without a shred of pity, without a shred of regret, watching you go with glory in my heart. And the Acting. Oscar goes to... Acting! <laughs> Brilliant! Oh, she's so good. Oh, yes. she's so good. Oh, yes. man. Well-deserved uh, for that little statue. Yeah, she's just tremendous. I can't speak any more highly of a performance than that. That's that's as good as it gets. And it feels like... Uh, Starring Jack uh, Nicholson. <laughs> um, and the nomin- goes to. Nominated <laughs> against the full Monty, uh, in fact. <laughs> So, um, no, it, and so of course, Isabella Rossellini, Ingrid Bergman's daughter, uh, so, and you can so clearly see the, the resemblance and, um, that scene, it just makes me think of her in blue velvet, uh, you Mm. know, towards the end, especially, and, Blue Velvet's uh, crazy. We got to do that one sometime. Oh, yeah. Oh, seriously, man. Um, but and Isabella Rossellini in her own right is, you know, she's just an incredible actress who I feel like knows no bounds. And yeah, um, but, you know, watching her mother, it's it's like, oh, well, yeah, clearly. OK, Apple doesn't far, far fall far from the tree, I guess. <laughs> No, no, it does not. No, she, uh, but man, like she just, that scene, you're just like, you know, I could be watching this on my phone in my kitchen doing dishes and I'm like, yeah, yeah, you tell yeah. him, you tell that. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, it's, it's Maybe awesome. Yes. It's awesome. Um, you know, there have certainly been plenty of other movies in which gaslighting is a factor. I, I think that when one that comes up a lot is, well, also the book, but the girl, the girl on the train, um, that one is, you know, this, this woman is an alcoholic. And so people kind of use that as kind of like, a, Oh, you don't know what you, you don't remember what you did. Oh, you were, you must've blacked out. And, you know, and it was all of this manipulation that was going on. And, um, one that certainly plays a lot in my home, considering I have a three-year-old, is the movie Tangled. Dan, have you seen Tangled? The Rapunzel? I have not, no. Okay, first of all, it's great. It's really fantastic. But the whole thing is that she was taken by this woman who uses the magic in her hair to stay young. And she's like thousands of years old. And... She and this woman uh, who goes by Mother Gothel uh, convinces her that she can't leave the tower because it's, you know, it's she won't survive out there and she's too weak and it's scary and people are going to be coming after her. And, you know, she completely gaslights her. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of amazing that this is a huge plot device in a children's movie. And uh, it's it's a good way to to teach kids, you know, look out for people like this because they are go they can take advantage of you and they can really trick you into thinking that you know you've got something wrong with you, and they're just bad bad people. Well, look at the Truman. Uh, you made me think of the Truman Show. The Truman Show. Mm-hmm. 
like uh, that it takes it to a new level yeah in the truman show i was actually thinking of watching that last night and i didn't end up watching it i should have watched that one it's kind of always on the short list for me but i'm i'm like you know that's i'm like i want to dig into that so uh you know, definitely sometime soon uh, to get back to the Truman Show. But yeah, you know, actually, I was looking at psychologic, psychology, no, psychology today. Easy for it's me late. To say. It's Friday night. Yeah, it's it's been a week. Um, And the, so the 11 warning signs of gaslighting. This is important mm-hmm. and we should know this. So when someone is gaslighting you, they are telling blatant lies. You know, they are lies, but... They these people are setting a blatant lie and they're they're going to just kind of put you in doubt. And then they deny number two, they deny they ever said something, even though you have proof. Yeah. So you heard it, you remember it, but no, I never said that. Uh number three, they use what is near and dear to you as ammunition. Hmm. Hmm. Um, number four, they wear you down over time. It's done gradually a lie here, a lie there, a snide comment every so often. Yeah. And then it ramps up. Number five, their actions do not match their words. So look at a person's actions rather than what they're saying. What they're saying means nothing. Number six, they throw in positive reinforcement to confuse you. Mm Mm-hmm. Hmm. Number seven, they know that confusion weakens people. Number eight, they project. They will accuse you of things they themselves are guilty for. Number Mm -hmm. nine, they try to align people against you. Number 10, uh, so in the case of of the movie Gaslight, um, you know, uh, Elizabeth, definitely Nancy. um, Right, right. Yeah. They tell you or others that you are crazy. Hello. Yeah. Am I mad? Uh, Yeah. And number 11, they tell you everyone else is a liar. Oh. I also read somewhere that uh, people use humor to kind of uh, bring your guard down a little bit. So... I I can see how he would be doing that a little bit in, in some of their interactions in this movie too. He's you hilarious. Yeah. Well, I mean, just like being light and playful. Bola. Yeah, but Paula. So why should we go yeah. out? <laughs> so Dan, I don't know. What do you see for you know bringing bringing this movie into the now? Ideally, I would want to go back to 1993 and remake it and have like Antonio Banderas as <laughs> as Gregory. Um, yeah. Yeah. But short of being able to do that, I there's something about a remake of this that is actually really appealing to me, like uh-huh. a, a straight up remake. And I, I was thinking about like, well, do you do you modernize it? Do you adapt it? And I feel like the atmosphere of that, like Victorian era England yeah. is so Plus- Plus, you can't, I mean, you don't have gas lights right. any later, so. I mean, unless it's like a it meta, unless, unless you're doing like a kind of loose remake that where it's like the story is the same, but you just don't have the actual idea of the gas light. But I like that as a device. And it's really elegant. And yeah. I feel like there are a lot of filmmakers that 
I would love to see take that on. Uh, I would love to see a female perspective on it. I'd love to see Cassie Lemons, who we talked about recently. Yeah. Because uh, I was I was watching Eve's Bayou. And uh-huh. I was like, man, it's so atmospheric. And there's like such a this like sinister tension that's like this slow boil. And yeah. I thought Cassie Lemons would be great. Um on uh I I haven't seen uh Nomadland yet, but Chloe's Chloe mm. Zhao uh it seems like she can really kind of capture almost like real emotion and yeah. at, at, like a lot of the shots I've seen present like an atmosphere. Like I would just be, I'd be I will say to see what she could do with it. You know, I haven't seen the writer or songs my brother taught me, but from what I gather is that they are also very much like, you know, they take place in like rural America and you know I think one of them is shot in like the Badlands and you know they're they're kind of just out and they're very atmospheric so I think that it would be interesting to see her doing something in a city setting uh I think that a, a lot of her, her her work actually relies on a lot of non-actors so it would be I think a bit of a departure for her but I think that she has certainly proven herself as a a director that can Pull, I mean, pulling a great performance out of Francis McDormand isn't exactly probably the hardest thing in the world, but I mean, you certainly get the sense that the direction has a lot to do with the emotion that's derived from, you know, watching Nomadland. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, I mean, so they came to mind. I was thinking about like Greta Gerwig and I know like, you know, Little Women was a period piece, but um this is different it's different yeah it's it's different um and then on the male side of things i was thinking of some uh male directors i think would do a really nice job with it and i thought of todd haynes as yeah i i think about far from heaven and i think about him applying kind of uh, some of the the mentality that went into making far from heaven to making something like this. And I get excited about that. Same thing with like Ang Lee, who Uh um, I think about the ice storm and how Mm -hmm. that, how it felt to watch the ice storm. I saw that with mom. Uh, Really? (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, um, so those were a couple of directors I thought of. Steve McQueen uh, is another one. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in fact, I was thinking in my Gregory casting choices, I've got Michael Fassbender on my list there. Oh, uh, yeah. Tell me your casting choices. So my casting choices. Oh, and of course, I have Jordan Peele because like slow burn thriller. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so some of my casting choices. So for Gregory, I've got Michael Fassbender, the great Oscar freaking Isaac. Oh, yeah. Of course. Um, Idris Elba. Is on mm-hmm. my list. Uh, Daniel Kalu- Kaluuya. I was like, that mm-hmm. would be an interesting turn for him. And uh, late addition to the list, Omar Sy from uh, okay. most m- most recently of Lupin, also of The Untouchables, uh, right. the French film. So I think he's got th- like this very suave presence. And then for Paula, I've got I've uh, I've got quite a list. Um, I would say yeah. my my top three here are Carrie Mulligan, uh, Alicia Vikander, and Elizabeth Olsen. Uh, okay, but I also have on that list Kira Knightley, Michelle Williams, Janelle Monae. 
I would be oh yeah interested and I put Sophie Turner on there though um she's you're not probably, so hot on that one yeah See, I I mean I I love the idea of uh, Janelle Monet in a movie like this but if you're setting it in the same time period London then I think it would you would have to change well, the setting in order to make it really uh, appropriately work for to you make, know a non-white yes. cast yes absolutely and that was my like okay well if you were to remake this in a in a different era if if you were going to yeah. do that but my ideal choice is to keep it in that victorian london primarily you know gaslight <laughs> yeah yeah totally absolutely but yeah like yeah, uh, uh, Carrie, I, also like carrie mulligan is I mean, she's just got such an amazing track record, and I'm, it's so cool to see her getting recognition for Promising Young Woman. Right? Which I oh, Promising. Seen yet, have you seen Promise? Oh, it's not so yet. good. No, that's not it's one so I want to watch on my phone. That's one I want to like. Buckle no, in no, for. no, no, no. It's great. Uh, yeah, I mean, not like we're actually casting a remake of this movie, and not like this movie would be remade. Certainly not by us. But I. I would worry that casting Carrie Mulligan would be like, you know, she's on the, you know, feminism movement of uh, of films if she were to do this after Promising Young Woman. Yeah, I, it would be. Yeah, it would be interesting. I mean, I don't know. There's so many people. I so many people that are you know not not coming to mind. I think for Gregory, it was much easier to come up with a short list. Yeah. Like yeah. so yeah. so I agree with you completely about a straight up remake uh setting it in the same era. I mean I feel like it kind of honors the tradition of a gaslight remake to make it nearly identical but just with some some slight differences. Uh I hadn't really thought too much about um, directors and I do love the idea of a female director and I think that you had some great suggestions there the only other director that I was thinking uh, who is not female uh, was Paul Dano and I don't know if you've seen Wildlife but uh, it, it's it's really good um, and oh. that I think it's the only movie he's directed but it's uh, written by him and Zoe Kazan and it's got Jake Gyllenhaal yeah it's it's good. And it's, oh, you know, it's one of those. What's that? I'm sorry. Who did Nightcrawler? Speaking of Jake. Gyllenhaal. Oh, that's a great question. Um, Nightcrawler. That, talk about yeah. atmosphere and like noir and. Nightcrawler was that. directed by uh, Dan Gilroy. Okay. Dan Gilroy. Well, I mean, geez, not Dan Gilroy. <laughs> Uh, who also list. directed uh, Jake Gyllenhaal in Velvet Buzzsaw. He was a writer on Kong Skull Island, which is a movie that I enjoy. It's a fun movie. So anyway, uh, the the casting choices, I only had uh, the only casting. I had one person per main character, really. For the Paula character, I was thinking Vanessa Kirby. And uh, you might remember her most from... Uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. She's the blonde woman who's the uh, the arms broker. She's also uh, just recently in Pieces of a Woman, which mm-hmm. I think was distributed by ne- which is a Netflix movie. It's yeah, about yeah. a you know uh, a woman who loses a 
child just after childbirth and um she delivers an incredible performance in pieces of a woman oh. it's a tough one to watch no, no but pun intended she's really really incredible uh in that movie she you can just see the you know the range that made me think of her you know when thinking about the character of paula and you know prior to having seen pieces of a woman i had only seen her in you know, Mission Impossible Fallout. She was also on, I think she was on The Crown, and she was also in, I think, Hobbs and Shaw. (laughs) So, you know, but it's not until I saw Pieces of a Woman where I was like, wow, that's an incredible performance. That's huge range. And I, I could easily see her doing the, uh, the Ingrid Bergman role in, uh, in Gaslight. And the only person I thought of for Gregory Anton was Sasha Baron Cohen. Oh. The way you're looking at me right now. Oh, Because the way I was thinking about it is that it needs to be, there needs to be quite a bit of an age difference between the two of them. And uh, it made me feel like I've done nothing with my life when I saw how young Vanessa Kirby is. Uh, And Sasha Baron Cohen, who is, you know, he's older, but not like, disgustingly older where it's just like wildly inappropriate it's not michael but I douglas feel like, no oh, oh. but i feel like he you know he can do those really dramatic roles he can put on that kind of bad guy face but as we so obviously know he can be charming and i feel like as opposed to like charles boyer he can be more subtle and it, I don't know. I feel like he's got the right chops or something like this. Plus, he does have a very like classic look to him when he's not in a character, <laughs> a Borat type character. You know, he does have a very like old Hollywood look to him, and uh, you know when he wants to. Well, so, I mean, if you I think feel about like it him, would really work. Well, think about him in in Hugo and Sweeney Todd. Uh, yeah, you know he has done like you know i mean yes trial of the chicago seven but he's done well, like but he's nine. playing abby hoffman in that so it's you know well, right but i'm saying like he has the funny done, guy in the yeah i do think often when we think of sasha baron cohen we think you know the borat bruno ali g but you know he does have this career outside of those characters yeah yeah no and uh i i think that they're just they would be an awesome pairing and uh i don't know if she's still acting she was in mary poppins returns but i would love to see angela lansbury as uh the the bessie character the nosy neighbor oh i know that she's you know in her 90s and uh i don't know how much she's doing but but maybe that would be enough maybe she could that would that would be just enough for her to to handle oh yeah to bookend the career yeah wow that would be superb i would love that (laughs) fabulous yeah so uh vanessa kirby dan if you're not super familiar with her check her out she's i mean maybe watch clips from pieces of a woman if you're uh wanting to at least just see there's some stuff later on in the movie of like you know confronting her family and her uh husband who's Kind of a shitty guy, Shia LaBeouf. Isn't so it Shia course, LaBeouf? You know, I fucking yeah. hate Shia LaBeouf. Right? I know, I know. So, uh, 
the the rage that she has and the redemption that she has and the the struggles that she has all really feel very authentic and um it really i feel would make a lot of sense for the paula character anyway that's that's what i got that's what i got no excellent so our our next episode continuing our theme of movies that have either invented innovated reinvented uh phrases we're going uh you know pretty much as as far of a swing as you can from <laughs> from gaslight we are going from from 1944's gaslight to 2011's hall pass yeah as uh non-feminist well it's not like anti-feminist but uh, it's certainly it's not uh, sending the same messages about uh about women yeah i've never seen it so i haven't seen it either but it did coin the term of you know the the person that you would be able to to sleep with the The, the permission to 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 cheat on your spouse exactly uh yes that's that's hall pass for you so i am um, jason sudeikis owen wilson yeah I like Jason Sudeikis and and Owen Wilson. Like, there's sometimes where I love Owen Wilson, and there's other times when I like, nah, it's just not clicking for me. But Christina Applegate is in it, and uh, I, who's wonderful? I always, always enjoy Christina Applegate. Yeah, and uh, Jenna Fisher as well. So Jenna who, Fisher. Um, yeah. So you know, I'm trying to think of what what she's been up to recently. Well, I know that recently she she actually has a very successful podcast, podcast. with Angela Kinsey called Office right. Ladies. Right. That's just talking about the office. And it seems like I mean, I don't know if she's doing much acting, but I know that she's this this podcast is extremely people as we've talked about before, love the office. And, and Jenna Fisher love, was in freaking Walk Hard. So she was in she was fantastic in Walk Hard. And also, she uh, was great in Blades of Glory. Yes, agreed. opposite John Heater. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So, 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 Dan, uh, as you as you creep along the London squares at night, I wish you a good journey. Good journey, Paula. Yo, man. Yo, open up, man. Yo, what do you want, man? My girl just caught me. Catch you? I don't know how I let this happen. But who? The girl next door, you know? I don't know what to do. So it wasn't you. Alright. Honey came in and she got me red-handed, creeping with the girl next door. Picture this, we were both butt naked, banging on the bathroom door. How could I forget that I had given her an extra All this time she was standing to your villa Just for sun a witness All of your clean of your pillar You better watch your back Before she turn into a killer Just review the situation That you call the pinner To be a true player You have to know how to play If she say a night Can be so say a day Never admit to a word Where she say I she claim a you Tell her baby no way But she caught me on the counter Wasn't me Saw me banging on the sofa Wasn't me I even had her in the shower Wasn't me She even caught me on camera she saw the marks on my shoulder Wasn't me Heard the words that I told her Wasn't me Heard the screams getting louder Wasn't me She stayed until it was over 
said that she really not a right for vex I never used to see her make the jigger low flex I saw the else in favor you in the complex Seeing is believing so you better change your specs You know she ain't gonna bring her whatever things are from the past All the little evidence you better know for mass Quick by your hands up, no overtime But if she back a gun you know you better run fast But she caught me on the counter Wasn't me Saw me banging on the sofa Wasn't me I even had her in the shower Wasn't me She even caught me on camera Wasn't me She saw the marks on my shoulder Wasn't me Heard the words that I told her Wasn't me Heard the screams getting louder Wasn't me She stayed until it was over Honey came in and she 